Hey everyone, welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, perhaps because you are listening to us on New Year's Day, welcome. It's great to have you. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist, a best-selling author, and he's also my dad. So, Dad, Happy New Year. Out with the old, in with the new. Hopefully, that which sucked last year will dissipate, <laughs> and that which was great last year will continue and even grow. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So today we're focusing on setting ourselves up for the year ahead. And in particular, I really wanted to talk about all of the things that support and enable a person, regardless of what individual goals they might be pursuing or what they might be focusing on in their life, and maybe even introduce some different ways of approaching the new year. Mm. And that's where I'd like to start, Dad. How do you think about New Year's? Are you a New Year's resolutions guy? Like, how do you just approach this whole territory? I would say that I'm I'm big on planning in general. Now, partly that's because I'm a social seven in the Enneagram. I like imagining different attractive futures. But I've really come to also, you know, be haunted a little in retrospect by the price I paid for taking months and sometimes years at a time just drifting rudderlessly in the river of life. And so I think there's a sweet spot in which we're we're both receptive and open to influence and just kind of what's occurring. We don't try to over-control it. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. if we don't have a sense of aim, we tend to not end up in a place that we like, a place that's good for us and others. And being purposeful in some ways is intrinsically useful because you feel like, okay, at least I have an orientation that I can compare what's happening to. It's better to have a bad plan than no plan. Because at least with a bad mm-hmm. plan, you fairly quickly realize that it's bad and what you need to do to make it better. So that's my overall context. And inside that context, I do look for marker events like a birthday or a solstice or an equinox or in the Western Gregorian calendar, a new year. Any one of them is a little arbitrary, but we can use them as a launching pad, as a marker, if you will, for where were we at this point last year? And where would we like to be at this point next year? 365 and one quarter days from now. Yeah, and some of this gets to uh, research that's been done by people like Katie Milkman, who's been on the podcast around what's called the fresh start effect. And this is basically exactly what you were just saying, Dad, where we have these kind of constructed and arbitrary markers in life of different kinds, one of them being the new year. But it does seem like organizing ourselves around them does make it more likely that people will succeed in setting new goals and achieving those goals, uh, whatever it is that they're trying to do. And I've definitely experienced in my own life just a lot of value around going through that kind of a deliberate process around the turning of the year. So we're going to talk about a lot of ways that people can do that during this episode. I do want to quickly mention here that if you're interested in adding a little bit more structure to your growth process over the next year, uh, Rick has a wonderful online program. It's called the Foundations of Wellbeing. This is the 2.0 version, and it is just a year-long deep dive into becoming more compassionate, more mindful, more confident, and a variety of other key inner strengths that you walk through over the course of the year. If you'd like to learn more about it, you can go to fwbprogram.com and you can get 20% off of the program with the coupon code BEINGWELL20. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while and I've enjoyed it, I think you'll love the program. It's also what we based our book Resilient off of, so it's just a really great offering. 
While we were doing the setup for this conversation, Dad, you sent me an email, as you often do, where you kind of just like dropped some thoughts on me. And you said something really interesting about this movement people have from being into becoming. And I think it would be really nice to just kind of start the episode by you explaining what that means and what that means for you related to this topic oh, of like okay. achieving what you want to achieve over the next year. We will talk about several different kind of detailed ways to lay out your your goals and intentions for the new year. And I've done a lot of those different kind of practices. They're great. I like them. And at the center of all of them is your state of being. Your state of being. Your fundamental way of being in the world is the origin point for all action. Being precedes becoming, which is a paraphrase of Jean-Paul Sartre and his approach to existentialism. We start with being, from which flows becoming, activity, action. And it's true that is arguably the most fundamental way to help yourself is to raise your level of being, as you define it. In other words, broadly, to increase the consciousness, the resilience, the wisdom, the lovingness that you rest in as your foundation. It's like a rising tide floats all boats. What's the rising tide in the core of yourself that floats all the various boats of this activity or that? So that's kind of a frame here. And we can get so caught up in becoming that we lose the sense of being and resting in being, and we can become kind of exhausted around becoming. That's another angle on the importance of emphasizing, what's your ground of being? Where do you rest? And can you rest in a really good place, which naturally moves you into useful, wonderful, healthy, and so forth, forms of action and becoming in the world? Yeah, I think what's really important in what you're emphasizing here, Dad, is something that I've been thinking about more and more in, in my work recently, both my work like inside of myself and also just what I share with other people, which is this notion that all of this tactical stuff, which can be really, really great, is so contextual in nature. It is all situated in our unique circumstances with our unique brain and our unique uh, level of being, to maybe put it that way. Yeah. And a lot of the time, people try to implement fairly sophisticated tactical advice about like how to approach a problem, and they get stymied in their implementation. They, they can't flip the pilot switch to use a, uh, a metaphor that you like to use pretty regularly. They, they just can't activate. Or maybe they just don't find it accessible, or they try to do it for a while and it just doesn't work out for them. A lot of different reasons why that could be. But one of them is what I think you're pointing to, which is that like maybe they're trying all of this stuff in a context where where the ground of their being isn't like super fertile, or their circumstances are really holding them back in different kinds of ways, or they're in an unsupportive environment. And I just really like that you're acknowledging all of the other stuff that goes into our ability to implement around some of the like practical advice that we're going to offer during this episode. I don't know if I've ever told you this thing that I got from the EST training, Werner Erhard's program, which I took. So that takes me back a, to 1975. Uh, a, a very, very fraught training from back in the 60s, yes. That's it, that's it, that's it. I learned how to hold my bladder for eight hours in a row. <laughs> no, anyway. They were legendary for not allowing bathroom breaks yeah, that's right. that's to right. give some context on that yeah. combat. Okay. Especially back in the original day. So yeah. point is, people tend to think in this sequence from have to do to be. 
all right? So people think, oh, if I just had a wonderful kind of relationship, say, or if I just had a particular kind of job, then I could do things like romantic evenings, wonderful lovemaking, or my job. Mm -hmm. I could do leadership. I could write a book. I could publish reports. I could produce products. Fine. And then out of that, I would be of someone who has a sense of self-worth. I would be someone who feels resilient and confident and, uh, and, you, and actualized in this world, okay? From have to do to be. That's how we conventionally think about it. And what Werner pointed out is that that sequence is full of trouble and it actually typically traps people in the forms of having and doing which never end up in being. The better way to do it is to invert the sequence and to start from being to doing to having. Focus on your ground of being, your attitude, your self-concept, the kinds of things we focus on in this podcast. Being well already from the inside out, building up your sense of worth, building up your own internal emotional intelligence, your own capabilities, which naturally then flow into forms of skillful, effective doing, Mm -hmm. which other people tend to really appreciate and like and join with you, which then leads to the kind of having that you'd really like in this life. I think that's a great way to put it. And the natural question that somebody, maybe a new listener might have at this moment is like, well, okay, how do we do that? And Listen to all 300 of our back episodes. (laughs) I I don't think we've fully fleshed out the answer (laughs) over 300 episodes, but I think we've done an okay job of giving it a shot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think think at the very least, it's a nice start. Um, (laughs) So jokes aside, we are going to focus maybe a little bit more tactically during this particular episode. And some of the answer to that broader being question is in the back catalog back there if you want to give it a listen. Mind if I bring this kind of really down to earth, Dad, in terms of how I approach my kind of New Year's process? Yeah, I'm really curious because, you know, you really lit the pilot light about half a dozen or maybe a dozen or so years ago. Five to eight years ago. Something um, happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's true. I think that's true. And and one of the things I want to mention, because in the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about avoiding periods of like listlessness where you're just kind of flailing around drift yeah I, I went through a protracted feeling of or period of being pretty adrift when i was in my kind of early mid-20s but you know i think that there are ways in which that adriftness can also be useful sometimes for people where i just had to figure out what i liked i had to figure out what i liked what i wanted from this life what i was into what my how i could motivate myself internally as opposed to being really focused on more external forms of motivation yeah. because i was very resistant to feeling controlled by other people and because of that i had to find a way to kind of control myself in a useful way and getting a little bit more deliberate about new year's processes which i really was not into prior to this point in time was definitely like a helpful part of that equation and then i just did a lot of internal work and like personal work along the way. Yeah. But as time has gone on, I, I've kind of simplified things a little bit down to these four questions that I like to ask myself around the new year. And two of them are classic Rick Hansen. The first one is, what am I letting go of? And the second one is, what am I taking in? And it's just a simple way of thinking about what are some of the things in your life that just like aren't working for you anymore? 
Or maybe they're really great things, actually. This can be one of the trickier things for people to think about. Sometimes we have something that we really enjoy in our lives, but sticking with it is actually kind of holding us back from something that we care about even more. You might be thinking of the proverb, wisdom is choosing a greater happiness over a lesser one. Yeah, great. Right there. So those two questions. And then what am I taking in? What do I want more of? What do I want to cultivate? What do I want to develop? Then two more questions. What's working that I want to lean into? So what's going good right now that I want to emphasize, build more of? And this is really a way to focus on enjoyment in life because enjoyment is kind of the the secret sauce of personal growth. It's, it's something that I think people don't talk about enough where we repeat what we enjoy and therefore we got to enjoy things if we want more of them in some way. And a lot of the time when people approach New Year's resolutions, they have this kind of punishment mindset where they think about everything in terms of what are they depriving themselves of? How am I like whipping myself up the hill of good effort? And it's no surprise that we fail in our resolutions when we approach them that way because there's nothing to enjoy. We haven't found anything in them that we want more of. And then fourth question, I really love this question. What do I want to celebrate a year from now? Mm. And I think it generally works better if you just pick one. Just pick one thing where you're like, I want to celebrate this a year from now. That would be really great. It can be even more effective if you think of somebody you would like to celebrate it with. So those four questions, what am I letting go of? What am I taking in? What's working right now that I just want to lean into or cultivate more of? And what would I like to celebrate a year from now? And these days, that's how I'm approaching my resolutions. And I haven't 100% figured out all of the answers to those four questions yet, but that's a project for the next couple of days. We didn't plan to do this, Forrest, but because I love your list here, maybe you and I could be a little vulnerable and a little exposed and a little take a crack yeah at an answer great what do you yeah think? i mean we can we can practice want to take turns sure yeah at the very least like just pick one of the four of them if you've got one for all four then great oh but i'm an overachiever also, you know and uh, oh you I'd are to i know know, you. I, know you do. I give you a four-point <laughs> list and you're going to answer all of the questions it's inevitable <laughs> but yeah go ahead dad if you've got something off the top of your head where you're like i'm i'm hot i'm coming in go ahead yeah and you too so, wow this can get very real. Uh, what am I letting go of? Uh, one thing that I'm letting go of is this general tendency to uh, basically imagine a ball, all right? See a ball, like a ball, want the ball, chase the ball, get the ball, look for the next ball. That yeah. machinery of kind of drivenness, goal-directed Pursuit. accomplishment. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's good. It has its uses, but Overall, there's a certain collateral damage in it that I'm really learning to extricate myself from and lighten up about caring so much about some of those red balls. I think that's great, Dad. And also, it's it maybe a little bit of like a moment in life question, you know? You're in your 70s now. Yeah. There, there might have been like, maybe there's a place <laughs> for a little bit more of that in my life in some ways, which is kind of yeah. funny. That's actually what I'm going to talk about a little bit <laughs> in a second. But, and, but in your life, maybe there's a place for a little bit less of that because That's you true. have different priorities and values. And that also really emphasizes how this can be so individual in yeah. what we're trying to do here. And related to our developmental stages in life, there's these stages that Daniel Levinson and others have developed, have talked about in terms of adult development. Yeah. The older I get, the younger I feel. How about that? I love that for you, for starters. All right, what am I letting go of? Mm. 
what is coming up for me right in this moment, and maybe I'm just bouncing off of what you just said, but I, I want to let go of excessive comfort. Whoa. So I think that there's a way in which over the last three to six months, I've become a little too comfortable. I've mm-hmm. gotten a little too set in my routine. My routine is very comfortable for me. I've noticed myself start to get aversive about stuff that bumps me from that routine, even stuff that would be like pretty useful for me in a lot of different ways. So I'm trying to let go of an excessive focus on comfort. That's good. So how about you, Dad? What are you taking in? What pops up uh, has to do with my recent involvement with uh, the Global Compassion Coalition, which has led me into learning about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, which represent millions and millions and millions of people and organizations around the world who are making it better. Hmm. And we can be so aware through the headlines and other things about that which is problematic or worsening. It's great to appreciate that there are all kinds of people who are helping, who are doing what they can. And it's really important to kind of let that land. Now I got to figure out what mine is. Because you're, you know, you could have gotten back to me in like three days, Dad, and I would have I had my list. But here we are. You're putting, putting me on the spot. <laughs> it's good for people to let, watch you for us on the spot. Watch me sweat. Watch the you know just beads go down my forehead. Um, what am I taking in? Honestly, being real about it, I want to take in more self confidence, man. I, oh. I want to be more confident in the quality of my work. I want to feel more assured about it. I think that I've gotten kind of in my head about uh, about the podcast to some extent, but then just also the broader nature of my offerings. I have a total tendency inside of my own psychology to be like, there are 10 million self-help content creators out there. What's one more? Somebody else already did a piece on this. Do I really need to do a piece on this idea? Just that kind of whole whole mental trap. You know, that's just a real tendency of mine. Even in a world where you know, the podcast has been more successful than I ever could have realistically hoped that it would be. Um, you know, I co-authored a book with you. And even in spite of that, there are all of those thoughts that I think a person naturally has. And and I'd really like to work with them. I wouldn't like to be to be held back by those thoughts as much, which means cultivating a little bit more self-belief, self-confidence, or even just like moving past those those constructs to more of a feeling of like, I enjoy this and I think it's valuable. So that's why I do it. Well, I'm very touched that you say that, Forrest. I wish that for you. It's very yeah. deserved. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So what's working that I want to lean into in the coming year? Uh, what just comes up intuitively is actually quite tender and sweet for me. It's our family. Mm. You, your mom, your sister. You know, I don't tend to lean into it, right? But I'm realizing that I can count on it. you know. And I think there's a lesson here for a lot of us that there are a lot of things in our lives I, I kind of visualize putting your hand on a wall that's solid and sturdy or a, or a guardrail or the floor beneath your feet. We really can count on it. And in a world in which many things are unreliable, there are numerous things in our lives that are reliable that we can lean into. So that's my answer to that question. Yeah, I think extremely similar relationships, particularly my relationship with my partner, Elizabeth, which has been going phenomenally well and just has felt really great recently. We've been in like a really wonderful period together. 
And so that's something that I really want to make sure that we keep on making space for in a world where we're both increasingly busy people with other other pursuits and obligations and just all that other stuff that can that can go on in life. I want to make sure that I'm still like reinforcing that relationship in useful ways. Well, what I like to celebrate, well, as someone who has done a lot of off and on rock climbing over the years, talked about that and I've, I had a long period of not, and now I'm kind of leaning back in and hoping to maintain the integrity of my right shoulder, which is a little vulnerable. So I think I would like to celebrate by the end of this coming year, having done a long 5-9 route with a guide. That would be kind of super cool. That's a real stretch goal. I actually think that it's really interesting and really great, and I'm glad that you gave this as an example, just a, a hobbyist purpose. You're not a professional rock climber. It's just a no, thing you like doing. That's right. You know? And I think that it's really easy with our frameworks like, what would I like to celebrate a year from now? To make them like so big and so hefty and so about some like central purpose in your life. But you just looked at the question and you went, you know what? That would be really great. I would be really stoked if I could pull that off to use a little rock climbing lingo there. That's right. You know, that would be that would be really thrilling for me. And so I I, I just really like that you that you centered that. Yeah. Okay, what do you want to celebrate a year from now? I'm still working on this one. I'm still I'm still polishing away on, I think, my answer to this question. I'm not quite sure. I'm pulled in different okay. directions. Maybe um, we'll come back to it. Yeah, maybe this is one to come back to. I, I will mention that I started a, su a Substack. So if anybody wants to follow really? me on Substack, I'm doing more writing there. You don't tell me anything, Forrest. This is news. I, you know, it is news to you, Dad. So there you go. So I've started a Substack. I'm writing over there and also posting other stuff. And that is consistent with what might end up being something that I want to celebrate a year from now, but we'll see. My goals for the next year are mostly creative, I think. And I want to feel a little bit more creatively engaged and creatively fulfilled. So here's our question. We, we kind of rattled along here. And I know you've given real thought to the best practices for putting, quote unquote, New Year's resolutions into form. Yeah. Right? So totally. one of them uses the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T. Can you unpack that? SMART is, like you said, an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. And we can go into each of those if we want to, but it's just a basic way of thinking about how to approach this whole process. When we set a goal, people will often do it in a sort of vague form, right? I want to rock climb better. Yeah. Well, what does rock climbing Very better good. mean? Yep. To whom and what kind of circumstances? How are you going to determine how you're rock climbing better? What's your plan for achieving that better rock climbing? Uh, when do you want to rock climb better by? All of those natural follow-up questions are, are what that SMART acronym kind of speaks to. Another general best practice for creating a good resolution or just setting a good goal in general is that we want to try to find the right amount of challenge for us. Mm, that's right. Realistic goals tend to motivate us more because a huge aspect of being a generative person, being somebody who produces stuff in the world, is feeling like we can actually do it, right? And we really explored this during a recent episode that we had on generativity, where if you kind of feel like, you know, end of the day, I just can't do that. I'm, I'm not capable of that in that way. That's not there for me. It's going to be really, really hard to push yourself to do it day after day. And this, to connect all of our episode dots here gets back to what you were saying in the beginning, Dad, about being versus becoming. 
Ah. If you think of yourself as a being who is incapable of X goal, it's going to be very, very hard for you to achieve X goal because you're fighting against that self-concept that you have. So one of the best ways to achieve our goals or build new habits is just by changing how we think about ourselves, which mm. You know, I said just by changing this, it can actually be a very long and complicated fraught process, but that's a great way to approach it, is to think in terms of how do I see myself right now and how would I like to see myself differently? And then to see if there are some ways to connect the dots between those two points, often through success experiences of being that other way and feeling like you accomplished being in that way. Does that uh, make sense, Dad? Would you like to backfill some of what I've said here? I think that's actually incredibly good. One way I talk about it is the detail is in terms of one of the factors of being able to steady your mind to sustain mindfulness and remain present, uh, whether you're meditating or much more frequently just in everyday life, is to establish your intention to remain recollected and present rather than scattered and not present. And one of the aspects of setting that intention is to do it top down, almost like an inner voice that says, Pay attention. Stay here. Keep your keep your head in the game. <laughs> oh, stay mm-hmm, in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a place for that. But that exposes people to willpower fatigue. So, which is a general point related to setting intentions for this year. That if they feel kind of grim and forceful, almost like you have an inner taskmaster beating you up, then what I've observed, Forrest, speaking to your own resistance to being controlled, like father, like son. Let me tell you, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Like son, like father. (laughs) Apple in the tree a little bit here, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People often rebel against their inner controller. Yeah, totally. A different way, much more sustainable, is what I call bottom-up intention, where you, in effect, uh, bring into your awareness what it would feel like to be fulfilling, to be attaining the attention in real time. Now we're in being. Can you unpack that a little bit, Dad? What do you mean, what would it be like to for it to feel fulfilling? Yeah, it, it, to feel like you are fulfilling the intention. So you could say, you know, this year, I want to not get caught up in stupid quarrels about politics with people, for example. Uh, a lot of people have that intention, or just Love stupid that. quarrels about anything. You know, I just want to, you know, let that pitch go by. I'm going to stand strong for what I really believe in that's consequential, but silly stuff, I'm just, don't feed the trolls as you taught me a long time ago. Okay, you could say, now, Rick, don't get into that dumb argument with Uncle Bob, right? Mm, Or mm -hmm. don't reply to that stupid email. No worries. Okay, that's top down. The inner boss telling me to do something. The bottom-up approach, you can apply this to any intention, would be to go, okay, what would it feel like to be a person who stays out of silly quarrels? To be a person who is grounded and dignified and centered and does not let them be pushed around by others, but who is not contentious, does not bicker, does not get, does not take the bait of other people who are trying to be provocative. What's it feel like to be that person? Okay, I'm going to get in touch with a sense of that, maybe by imagining another person who's a model for me of that way of being. And then I'm going to imagine kind of my way into their skin almost, you know, I'm going to channel them almost. That's what it's like to be them. Super. Okay. And then give yourself over to that way of being. 
you're kind of surrendering to, or you're letting that way of being spread within you, or you're letting yourself become established in that way of being. And then it's like a current even, kind of carrying you along this way of being. Being precedes becoming. And then from this, and then it's in the giving over to, the letting yourself be lived by this way of being, that is a mode of intentionality, which is much more effective long-term. It feels much more rewarding. You're kind of carried along. So that's what I mean about bottom-up intentions. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy the Dr. John Delaney Show. Dr. John's show was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment, and it speaks to how much value people get out of the show. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, and he's been working with people for over 20 years. And the show has a very cool format. Real people call into the show, and he walks them through how to navigate a tough situation related to common challenges. Maybe it's something related to their relationships, anxieties, or emotional well-being. He explores a lot of topics that are similar to what we talk about on this podcast, but while we can sometimes be pretty theoretical in nature, the format of John's show just creates a lot of directness and practicality to it. I think it's actually a really nice compliment to what we do here on Being Well. No matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Delaney Show is here for you. And if you ever need some advice, you know who to call. Listen to the Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. If you're like me, you've probably started to pay closer attention to your long-term health as you've aged. Turning 35 was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I'm always looking for good sources of information, because it's often really difficult to separate fact from fiction when it comes to our physical health. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OS01 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. I think that this gets to another best practice here, actually, which is some kind of an embodiment aspect. Uh. The being that you're describing, the felt sense of being a certain kind of way, 
is often very physical for us. Like sometimes it can be cognitive, but at least for me, um, it often rests kind of below the below the head, if not below the neck. It often can include imagery, some kind of a picture or a, a visual of a kind of thought. If your brain works that way, maybe it means moving your body in a slightly different way. Maybe it means holding your carriage in a slightly different way. That means like how you hold um, how you hold your chest space. How tall do you stand? How low do you stand? Do you feel like you're more flying above the ground? Do you feel like you're more sinking down into the earth? These are all different somatic cues, different body-based cues for feeling a different way physically. And often what we find is because it's you know one mind-body system, how we think influences how we feel and how we feel influences how we think, that if we're having a hard time changing one of those variables, we can actually change it by going to the other one. So for me, as I've talked about on the podcast extensively in the past, I have a little bit of a tendency toward anxiety. I can get a little high, a little fluttery, a little quick, a little sharp, uh, like my head's kind of suspended like a balloon, and I'm just one head moving around through space as opposed to a fully embodied figure, if that kind of makes sense visually. And uh, I often find that one of the best ways to get out of my anxiety is not by thinking myself out of it, but by feeling myself out of it. So this sometimes means moving my locus of like where I think I am in my body from my headspace down to more like a chest space or a stomach space. Or it means deliberately activating some slow, deep breathing to kind of calm the somatic centers of the body. Or maybe it's something else that's kind of along those same lines. But anyways, that might have been a little long-winded, but it's a practice that I found super useful for me. Really great, the embodiment of it. Something also that comes to mind is how do we involve other people in our intentions and goals? And it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, it's useful to look for good company. We are very social creatures, even independent, curmudgeonly introverts like myself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're very well socialized for the record, Dad, and are a very extroverted introvert. Okay. 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 Find people who, who back your play. And I'll tell you something from my heart that's really been prominent for me recently. Paying attention to who cares and who doesn't. And if you want to know what people really care about, net some bottom line, watch what they do. Mm. Right? And I have a history partly related to my expertise in chasing red balls. Mm. I have a history of working really hard to get people to care about something that they actually mm. don't really care that much about. They, yeah, they just don't care about. Yeah. And that's just a lot of wasted effort. I would have been a lot better served by disengaging sooner and looking for people who are like-minded, who care about the things that I care about, right? And so I think it's really useful to think about, are you spending a lot of time trying to convince other people about something, time that would be better placed by focusing on the results you can achieve yourself, and also better placed by finding others who are real allies, benefactors of, of what you care about. That's been, a, that's been a really, really big thing for me. The other side of it, though, as you know, is that sometimes when we tell other people our intentions, that can make us more motivated because we, we're declared now. We kind of have to do it, right? There's that social pressure. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, there's some research that says that potentially as a pitfall, if you do tell people your intentions, 
and they say, oh, that's great. I'm so glad you're going to be fill in the blank. Then it's yeah. almost like you got that applause early, which then undermines the motivation to actually deliver the goods eventually. When I first bumped into that research, I thought it was so interesting. Mm, yeah. Because I definitely experienced aspects of that in my own life. Like you have this cool thought about what you're going to do. You're really excited about it. You share it with somebody else. And either on the one hand, they don't respond super positively and you feel kind of deflated and don't really want to do it anymore. On the other hand, sometimes they do respond super positively and now you feel like a lot of pressure or alternatively you feel, oh, I've I've got my dopamine hit and now I'm just less motivated to do it for whatever reason. The psychology of it is really, really interesting. And then this might be slightly tangential, but I want to share with you a structure that I, I learned and a couple of things I oh, yeah, go ahead to kind of bring it down to earth too. Like I said at the very start, I've done a lot of these years intentions things. Like for many years, I actually put on a workshop at the start of the year called Goals and Intentions, 1976. I mean, I really started doing this a long <laughs> time ago. Many, many years before yeah. I was born, yes. That's right. So there is a place for these detailed systems, and I'll name one in a second. There's also a place, particularly as you get older and, and maybe sometimes as your life becomes a little more stabilized, that you it's more like you just step back and look at the whole landscape of your year. I'm like you, quite visual. So I see this sort of terrain in front of me the whole year, 2024. And I have an intuitive sense of what I want to kind of disengage from compared to, on the other hand, what is it that I want to nurture? You know, so there's like a big picture look. Analytically, I learned a structure in which you would establish a purpose. So you'd have an overarching purpose for your life in general, and then in major areas of your life, you could have, if you wanted, individual purposes for the area of health, finances, relationships, spiritual practice. And then inside of those areas, you would have different priorities, goals, whether they're uh, specific tangible outcomes, deliverables, or priorities that have to do more with your state of being or what's happening inside your own your own being. Right? And then under those priorities, you would list three or more typically action items that would support that priority, which in turn would support your purpose. Kind of see the structure of that. And you can be a little loose in terms of what fits into the highest level of organization, the intermediate level, and then the very detailed level. The form of those Purposes, priorities, and action items typically are represented as complete sentences in the present with a positive result. This part's kind of important. Rather than saying, I will no longer be a lazy schlub who never exercises, bad. <laughs> That's the wrong form. You would say something like, I am radiantly healthy while exercising three times a week. Okay? In the present, positive, complete sentence. And there is something about that form. Complete sentence, positive result, stated in the present. And then last, I love collages. I love turning my goals and intentions into imagery. Images are so powerful. I've literally created notebooks for a year 
in which mm-hmm. I had different purposes and priorities and to-dos for the various pages, and then I would find pictures that represented them. The more expensive magazines, unfortunately, have the better ads, which tend to have the better pictures. So, <laughs> town and country, Vogue. Capitalism you know, appears sorry. again. <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> Travel and leisure, connoisseur, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, National Geographic, if you're willing to cut them open. Alternatively, you can print images from the internet, which is no. a newfangled way of doing really? things. That you might not, there is this Kids thing called the internet. Days. You can oh search gosh. for various images. You can print them out. I mean, if you really want to get wow. physical with it. You could also create like a Pinterest board, you know, no. which is another, you know, it's a thing that I... It, <laughs> But what a great idea! Solutions for these issues. Now. Can we make but this? That being said, for us, we should. This is that's brilliant. We should make this a division of the Being Well podcast, a new business, right? The thing you is, said is about me, me teaching you about things that exist now in in 2024 is that is that like our new running shtick on this week on Being Well? Forrest tells Rick about the internet. <laughs> Next I like week, it. he introduces him to Reddit. That's a scary episode. <laughs> like we go from there. Um, oh man! Just, but 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 jokes aside, jokes Good aside. Stuff. Although I love the, I love the jokes. I love oh the no, jokes. do but, it, do uh, it. I'm pulling the aside, needles out of my belly here. <laughs> I I do think that there is something in the highly physical action that you're describing. That's true. You are printing out a physical picture. You are cutting yeah. it out with your hands. You're putting it on the board. There, there, there's something about that that I, I think is, maybe it's just about how learning works in our brain. Maybe yeah. it's like the realness of it. I, I don't know what it is. I don't personally get quite the same effect from like copy pasting a picture in a digital platform of some kind, like on Photoshop or whatever else, that I get from writing something in a notebook physically. I don't know if that's pure placebo or what's going on there, but that's for whatever reason, I, I do think that that maybe it gets to like an embodiment thing. I'm not sure. There is something about it being physical that is actually helpful. So even though I'm poking fun at your uh, old fangled ways of doing things, Dad, I do think that there really is something in what you're highlighting. Yeah, there's something also fortuitous. You just get a stack of 20 magazines, let's say roughly. So now you've got your stack of magazines and you're just flipping the pages. And you're kind of opening your imagination. You're holding your sense of the year in your heart. And then you stumble on these pictures or headlines. Could be a word, could be a headline, could be part of an advertising slogan. Oh, and you find that phrase and somehow, wow, that's an important phrase for me. You know, that's going to really speak to me, which would be hard to do if you're searching for images because then you're already kind of preordaining what you're looking for. So... That is kind of a neat thing when you use the magazines. Okay, that's good. That's my technology. I, if you want to do it, you could take an hour, <laughs> Stone two or Age, three. or otherwise, whatever does it for you. <laughs> so there right. is something in this dad that I do want to ask you about. Okay, and it, it maybe it gets to like the being becoming part of the equation. Yeah, maybe it's just what what sets the stage for us to be able to engage with this process at all. I talked a little bit earlier about the idea that if you think of yourself as the kind of person who can't do something, it's going to be very difficult for you to achieve that goal. One of the things that I've really heard you emphasize that I haven't heard so much out in the general self-help space is the idea of getting on your own side. Could you explain what you mean by that and what that can look like for people in practice? I know that this might sound really obvious to people who are listening, but there's something about it that I actually think is like very fresh and important. For some people, 
it's native, it's natural mm-hmm. to them, they get it. For roughly half the population, in my personal experience-ish, it's an undiscovered country. Most people know what it's like to be loyal to somebody else. What does that mean to you? Sense of commitment to their welfare. You see them in their hole. You see their warts. But basically, you're supportive toward them. You care about them. You want to be helpful rather than hurtful. You're an ally. You are on their side. You are for them. And yet, how many of us have that same sense of loyalty to ourselves? Wow. And whether it, in my, whether it was in my clinical practice or with people in general, do not, end, do not underestimate the degree to which other people are actually not on their own side. Mm-hmm. And in fact, often are colluding with inner betrayers and inner attackers rather than identifying with and strengthening inner protectors, inner supporters, inner guides and nurturers. So this broad principle of being on your own side is fundamental. It's the pilot light. If the pilot light is not ignited, you can give a person all the gas in the world and the person themselves. They could read the self-help books. They can do the meditations. They can listen to a podcast. But it doesn't land because they're not really on their own side. There's no traction to, to take action toward their own welfare, for their own welfare. So how do you get on your own side? And this is absolutely central for this coming year. Very briefly, for me, it three, has three components to it. One component is moral, where it's funny, where you really address the beliefs that say you can be for others but not for yourself. Somehow it's vain or selfish, sinful even, narcissistic, to support yourself, to be as supportive toward yourself as you are toward another decent person that you care for. So it's helpful to really work this through and to realize why it's principled to be on your own side, including ways in which it helps others for you to be on your own side. As the airlines say, put your own oxygen mask on first. That's one element. And it's very useful to do that to challenge beliefs that mitigate against being on your own side. Second, self-compassion. So there's a first part that's cognitive, you know, recognize that it's principled. Second part, it's very tender, kind of emotional. You, you have a sweetness for yourself. You can hear my voice dropping like it would for another person. You, you care. You want to relieve your own suffering with qualities of compassion and tenderness. And then the third element of being on your own side is the last one, muscularity. It's a certain muscularity where you're determined. Mobilization and action, totally. Yeah, you have a sense of moxie, will to survive, will to live to see the sunrise. So those three together, the principled element, the self-compassionate element, and the muscular element together are what I mean by being on your own side. Awesome. And that's a great description of it, Dad. Yeah. Maybe this year would be a purpose for somebody to really be on their own side. And when you're on your own side, it's interesting. You get less complacent because you realize, hey, if I'm on my own side and wisdom is choosing a greater happiness over a lesser one, that means I'd need to buckle down in some ways. You know, <laughs> I, I need to get my job done or I need to do that exercise or I need to take my medicine or my vitamins. I can't just slack off there. It's not good for me to just rant and rave in business meetings because that blows back negatively against me later. So you can be hmm. a guide to yourself. You can be a coach who points out where you're slipping up 
while still being on your own side and not being harsh and poisonous toward yourself. Yeah. And if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast, like if you've taken the time in your life to turn on a podcast like this one, and maybe you're going for a walk, maybe you're, you know, bumping around the kitchen, whatever it is, maybe, hey, maybe you've sat down and you're doing some focused listening, which like, thank you for that. Feel very honored by that. There is a part of you that is on your side because you're engaging with this kind of stuff at all. If you weren't at all on your side, you would not be engaging with this material. Yeah, that's interesting. So if you're somebody who feels kind of like separated or divorced from that, it can just be like helpful to have a reminder that there is indeed a part of you to maybe use like the IFSE language, internal family systems therapy, that really does feel that way about yourself. But one of the things that I've been kind of thinking of recently, Dad, is, is how that gets kind of beaten out of us. If we think about this notion of like being on our own side, right? What are we trained to do as highly social animals? We're trained to really care about what other people think. Mm. We tra we're trained to just so care to be externally referenced in different kinds of ways. Like most of our motivations for most people are very external in nature. We want to look away. We want to be perceived away. We want to bring to the table the things that other people value. And if we're very focused on this, particularly as a young person, maybe because we had to be, because of the school setting that we were in, or because of the parents that we had, or whatever else was going on for us in the world, it's natural to stay that way as an adult. So a big part of getting on our own side is by becoming less and less externally referenced, and more and more internally referenced. In other words, kind of centering ourselves as the primary source of our own engagement and motivation and just like general caring about our lives and the world around us. But a lot of people have a lot of aversion to that because we're taught that doing things like that is like narcissistic in some kind of way, mm. or that like doing that means that we're not being pro-social. I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a massive, frankly, like means of control that social systems have around the behavior of individuals is by telling them that if they look after their own needs, they are being narcissistic in some ways. It's also a massive misusing of that particular piece of terminology. All that we're talking about here is valuing your own needs and valuing your unique perspective and having an appreciation for your individual context and in all of this and just caring about yourself in the same way that you care about other people. Can you imagine Forrest I'm getting a visual of myself right now and people listening, kind of having a sort of double vision in which they see, imagine a kind of path stretching ahead into 2024. And they see this vulnerable, precious being themselves walking that path. And I somehow, I'm imagining almost like a child size being, while alongside that innermost being is the guiding parts of themselves, the nurturing, guiding, encouraging, wisdom-promoting parts of themselves that are holding the hand of the inner being, walking together down that road. Mm. Isn't that kind of cool? And imagine what it would feel like to have that quality of caring and mattering toward that inner being of yourself every day. How would you operate today, 
tomorrow if you treated yourself like you really cared about yourself and you really mattered and wanted what was best for you in the broadest sense. I think that would make for a very beautiful day. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great way of summarizing so much of what we've talked about today, Dad. And I also think it's kind of the uh, the precursor to a lot of the functional material that we gave about setting a good New Year's resolution or establishing good goals or all of that. It's very, very hard to do that, and particularly very hard to be successful in the in the pursuit of it if you don't have that kind of orientation that we're describing of being on your own side of supporting yourself as an individual and of having a sense of like aspiration along the way you know because you're describing a a way of being that is really possible for people in the world and this underlying feeling that often drives it and how can we like bring more and more of that feeling into our lives over time beautiful one of the things that i think is actually real fuel for continuing to walk that path in in ways that are very effective and productive, you know, that bring in money and love and other kinds of rewards. It's along the way to appreciate what a good person you are. Not conceited, not arrogant, not narcissistic, just to know, wow, head high, you're a really good person. We can see that in others, right? It's harder to look at ourselves as a really good person. We're aware of our words, the things inside that we wince about. And yet, if only trust other people who look at you much as you look at them, and they know for a fact about you much as you know for a fact about them, that you are indeed a really good person. Feeling in your bones with a sense of conviction and then with related feelings of softening and reassurance and relief and worth, you're a really good person. I really love today's conversation with Rick, which was focused on getting the most out of the year ahead. And maybe even more than getting the most out of it, which can be a very, uh, very procedural way of thinking about this whole thing, very driven by productivity and these standards that we have for ourselves. Just thinking about having an enjoyable year over the next year. How can we set ourselves up for success in 2024? And I started by asking Rick about how he thinks about resolutions and goals altogether. And he really emphasized the importance of having some kind of a guiding framework in life that can help us push ourselves forward, that can stop us from just flailing around for extended periods of time. Because the years are going to pass either way, so it's very valuable to be able to look back over them and go, you know, that was more or less what I had in mind. Or even if it wasn't what I had in mind at all, man, I feel good about my effort along the way. And this took us into the material that Rick shared about the difference between being and becoming and the idea that being precedes becoming. Most people approach self-development from the framework of doing. If I do all of these different things, then maybe I will be a way that I want to be. And there's some truth to that. We can effort our way into a way of being, but it's generally even more effective to try to change those underlying being aspects of who we are. This could be our self-concept. This could be developing various inner strengths. This could be just thinking of ourselves as a more self-confident, capable, effective person in the world who really can 
affect change in different kinds of ways. And if we're able to change those variables, then we notice that our behavior changes, and that behavior change then creates all of these good things for us out in the world. So in that way, rather than becoming our way into a state of being, we be our way into a state of becoming. I then shared the framework I've been using over the last little while to think about New Year's resolutions, and it's just four questions. First, what am I letting go of? Second, what am I taking in? Third, what's working these days that I want to lean into? And then fourth, and I really like this one, what do I want to be celebrating a year from now? We shared our answers to those questions, and then we used that as a way in to talking about some best practices for setting goals and resolutions of different kinds. I talked about making goals smart. That means specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. We talked about finding the right amount of challenge and how having the right amount of challenge can help us be more generative in life in general. This relates to how flow states, and these are states of optimal performance and generativity when we're really just performing at an extremely high level and time kind of falls away and we're maximally productive. Those states are generally achieved by people when they're doing something that is neither too hard nor too easy for them. So it's right in that sweet spot. Rick talked for a little while about the importance of being thoughtful about how we involve other people in this whole process. Yes, it could be really helpful to get allies, to get supporters, to get positive feedback from people. Uh, Body doubling can be great. Accountability buddies can be great. These are all really useful forms of social support. On the other hand, man, a great way to ruin an aspiration is by sharing it with other people because people can, for starters, be a real downer. But on top of that, there's some really interesting research that suggests that when we share our goals with other people and they really validate us for having that goal, we might be less likely to achieve the goal because we've already kind of pre-received the positive feedback, the reward, in other words, that we're going to get for accomplishing it. So there's clearly some balance here between not involving people at all or involving people too much, but it's just an area where it's appropriate to be really thoughtful about this. And then along the way in this conversation, I really talked over and over again about the importance of reward and enjoyment. Most of the time when people set New Year's resolutions, they do so from this framework of like, this is going to suck. This is going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to like it. I'm going to have to wake up earlier than I want to. Oh, I have to drag myself out of bed. Just the language that we use is so just full of suffering along the way. And the problem with this is that the fundamental principle of behavior change is that we repeat what's rewarded and we avoid what is punished. You can just come back to that rule over and over again in your life if you want to uh, understand why you are acting in the ways that you are acting. And so this means that the secret weapon in any attempt to change our behavior is enjoyment, is by focusing on what is interesting or novel or unique, fun, enjoyable, useful, engaging about the experiences that we're having as opposed to all of the aspects of them that we dislike and have to force ourselves to do. Then at the end of the conversation, we talked about what precedes all of this, and that's getting on your own side. And Rick had this great model for what that looks like in practice. 
On the one hand, there's this kind of more intellectual, top-down, maybe even moral aspect to getting on your own side where you understand cognitively that this is an important thing to do, and you can kind of rally the feelings of being on your own side the same way that you would be on the side of somebody you care about, a friend, somebody else out in the world that you value maybe. Then there's a self-compassion aspect, which can feel you know warmer, softer, fuzzier in that way. And then finally, there's this really muscular aspect to it. Maybe it's a kind of feeling of, I will not be defeated. Maybe it's even this almost like animalistic, I want to live to see the sunrise part of ourselves. Whatever it is, this gritty part that really understands that we have to mobilize effort and energy on our own behalf, the same way that we have to mobilize it on the behalf of other people. And that took me to talking about object referencing and how most people are profoundly externally referenced. And what they need to develop is more of a sense of internalized motivation, a sense of purpose and drive on their own behalf for the things that they care about, as opposed to the things that other people care about. And this is often hard for people because when we're young, we're taught to really care about what other people think. And you know, I think that there's a place for that Speaking frankly, I I enjoy living in a society where other people care even a little bit about how I feel and my opinion and all of that. Uh, We want to be pro-social in our nature. We want to be sensitive to how other people think and feel. I think that these are all really good things. And at the same time, it's profoundly unhealthy to only care about what other people think and feel and how they're going to judge our actions and our behavior and to kind of funnel our on our own sideness through the lens of what other people value as opposed to funneling it through the lens of what we really care about. If you've made it this far, thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you're a new listener, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it now on. Maybe that's Spotify, maybe it's Apple, maybe you're watching on YouTube. Wherever you're doing it, please just click the subscribe button real quick here. It really does help us out. If you've been listening for a while and uh, you'd like to support us in other ways, please leave a rating and a positive review. That also really helps us. And hey, a couple of offerings that we have centered around the new year. First of all, I'm on Substack these days. I've included a link to my Substack uh, in the description of today's episode. You can access almost all of the material there totally free. And then there's a paid option as well if you'd like to support my work. And then also, Rick has a wonderful online program. It's the Foundations of Wellbeing online program. This is the 2.0 version of that. We did a massive refresh of it last year. We've gotten incredible feedback about it. If you'd like to learn more about it, you can visit fwbprogram.com and you can get 20% off with the coupon code BEINGWELL20. That's it for today's episode and Happy New Year. Thanks again for listening to us. I am just deeply grateful to all of the people who take the time to listen to the podcast, to send in their feedback, to to write us a message, write me an email. I really can't properly communicate how much it means to me and just the deep appreciation that I have for being able to do this work, which is just so crazy. And yeah, it's been just like really great over the last couple of years. So thanks again for taking the time to listen today. And we'll talk to you soon.